Good morning, church family. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. I hope everyone's awake, ready to go this morning. Uh, thank you, Jason, worship team, for a wonderful time of worship. I want to go ahead and ask if you would be turning to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 6. And uh, yes, uh, wives, this is about uh, submitting to husbands. Uh, men, come back next Sunday because verse 7, we're going to, it's going to take a whole sermon time, just a one, one verse for us. So you guys know I'm kind of hard on us, but as men, we're called to lead. As wives, we have a distinct role. Uh, I say we, you have a distinct role. I, I, let me just confess, I'll never know what it's like to be a woman or a wife. Uh, gladly submit to that. Uh, uh, but uh, today, as we're walking through this text, uh, there's, a, there's a big reason why in Titus, uh, the church was encouraged for the older women to teach the younger women how to do something. It was called mentoring, but what were they mentoring the younger women to do? Uh, just to be a godly woman? No, how to love their husbands, okay? Uh, how to love their husbands. And so that's uh, an older wife, older woman, teaching a younger woman how to do that. In the context here today, we're looking at the distinct biblical role of a wife. And so let me uh, just say up front, um, you know, years ago, uh, we were walking through 1 Corinthians and we got to the part about a husband submitting to Christ, wife submit to husbands, and afterwards a woman came storming out saying, where are the burkas in this place? And uh, I, I understand some of us will struggle uh, with the Word of God in, in many cases every time we open it. But uh, it is God's Word, and He does have a plan for us. So uh, let's stand in honor of God's Word. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Peter is speaking to the church, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. He says in verse 1, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that, husbands, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot in these verses. Lord, I just pray right now that we would submit to you. Uh, Lord, there's a reason why you speak to, this, to the church. And Lord, I ask that right now, in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, by your power and authority, that you would be exalted in this place. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would anoint it. Lord, we just humbly come before you and submit and say right away that in our flesh, wives and husbands, following the text, 
We cannot do this in our flesh. We cannot uh, obey your word from our flesh. It takes the spirit at work in our lives to do this. It takes sacrifice. It takes uh, presenting ourselves to the word of God and embracing the life that you called us to. And so, Lord, I pray that right now you would be very gracious to us. Uh, Lord, this has been entitled Grace Living, and we need your grace to accomplish that which you call us to, to be image bearers. And all of this, may the image of Christ come forth in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we, are going to, as we move into this text, I want to remind you of uh, something. Leadership costs. It, leadership costs. Someone will pay for leadership. If you are a leader, there is a price that must be paid. As a leader, you will sacrifice, you will make sacrifices in order to be the leader that you were called to be. It will cost you. You will pay a price to be a leader. Now, if you fail to pay that price, those who follow you will pay the price. They will pay the price for your poor leadership. They will pay the price for you not submitting to the role that you're called to live. As wives, you are called to a distinct role, and God has given that role to you, and he's called you to that role. And it will cost you to fulfill that role. There will uh, be a need for sacrifice. And your children, uh, not only your husband, also your children will pay if you fail to fulfill that call. Uh, If you don't count the cost, someone's going to pay. Husbands, in the same way. If we do not count the cost, and and men, you know I'm hard on us guys, because as the women are called, as the wives are called to submit to their husbands, men, it it raises the bar. It raises a standard for us. Because if they're going to submit, if the wife is going to submit in a biblical way, guess what, brother? You better count the cost. And you must be willing to make that sacrifice to be that leader in the home, in the marriage. It's going to cost, okay? Now, as we are going into this, I want to remind you of something else as well. Now, about a year and a half ago, I think it was, I shared the story of a villager who uh, came to Christ. He heard the gospel message, and he was saved. And he said, I've got to share this with uh, my my." brothers and sisters in the village. I got to share this with my family, my friends. And so he goes back to the village. And as he's sharing the gospel message to them, the men and women begin to beat this villager, the one that they knew, uh, began to beat him as he's sharing the gospel message with wire and reeds and sticks and left him outside of the village in a bloody mess, left him to die. Well, he comes to after several hours, and he said, you know, I, they, I don't understand. Maybe I shared wrong. Maybe I didn't tell them right, the, the gospel, the good news. And so he, I've got to go back. So he goes back to the village, and he shares again. Again, they beat him and leave him for dead. So after the second time, you think, come on, guy, you, you need to get it. Right? No, he, he, he got it all right. He got the good news. He went back a third time. And this time, as they are beating him, as they are whipping him, as his skin is reopening and beginning to bleed again, he notices that the women, as they are beating him, begin to cry. And he awakes in the bed, uh, finding out that the village, most of the village came to Christ as a result of his sacrifice. Now, many of us have another situation as parents. 
in this room who know Jesus Christ, just parents and period, you love your kids, right? You love your grandkids, definitely. But we love our children. And many of us would take a bullet for our kids. Many of us would step in the gap and say, no, don't take my child. Let me lay my life down for the child. So we've got evangelistic sacrifice. We've got parental sacrifice. But now let's, and we, ele- we tend to elevate that sacrifice, do we not, in the church? We say, man, if I could just be that faithful, if I could love Jesus that much. Okay, but now in the most sacred of covenant relationships here on planet Earth, a covenant relationship between a husband and wife. Why wouldn't we have the same heart to the death? Why wouldn't we love to the very end? But for many of us, especially in the world that we live in, and now the church mirrors the world in many ways. Divorce rate is pretty much the same as in the world when it comes to the church and husband-wife relationships. Many of us are experiencing difficulty in a marriage relationship, and we are drawing a line and saying, no more, no more, I'm done. Why is it that we will elevate the other two and saying to the death? But in the marriage relationship, we'll say, no, you've crossed the line, I'm done. Many times it's because we are pursuing happiness instead of holiness. As we enter into the covenant relationship, as we're living out this husband-wife relationship, we need to understand that it as well as in our covenant vows that we say, till death do us part. And so as we move into this conversation about wives submitting to husbands, we need to understand the context. Do not negate chapter 1 and chapter 2. We know, wives, as you're hearing this in the first in these six verses, remember chapter one, how great a salvation you have. Remember that it is Christ who is protecting. God is guarding this inheritance, your salvation. It is awaiting you in heaven. And so we rejoice in that fact that God is guarding us. He's keeping us, and he knows that at his return, he's bringing that to you, wife. And understand that in verse 6 of chapter 1 where he says, you may encounter various trials. Why? For the refining of your faith. And sisters, some of you, your various trial is that marriage relationship. But Peter said that the various trial is this. It's used to refine your faith, that it will produce works of endurance, and you will grow in your faith in Christ. He will be the one who will meet your needs. When your husband's failing, Christ will not fail. And you can endure to the very end. And so do not negate. It wasn't just uh, born-again believers outside of these specific roles. The context is your salvation is Christ alone. As you are following Christ, there are going to be various trials. But understand and know you're waiting his return. And in that moment, you shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye and become like It will be worth waiting for. So endure. So we come to the context. Uh, right before chapter 3, household slaves submitting to the masters. What is their pattern? Remember last week, the pattern is Christ. I'm going to go back to that pattern in verse 23. Well, following 22, where he is without sin, he's committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was 
holy. And then in chapter two, he said to the believers, to the church, be holy as he is holy, who was without sin, yet look at what he endured. I'm just reminding you from last week that in while being reviled, he did what? Well, but having, uh, when they hurled insults to him, at him, he didn't retaliate. When suffering intense pain, in verse 23, this picture, he didn't threaten. So he didn't retaliate. He didn't threaten. He kept doing what? Look at the end of verse 23. He kept entrusting himself to the one who righteously judges. In other words, he kept entrusting his life to the Father. Where, what was the direction that Christ was headed? Where was he going? Where was he going? This is the easy one. Where was Christ going? It's a big wooden structure right here. Where was he going? To the cross. Why? So that others, so that people, so that the creation might be drawn to God the Father. He endured all of that. He did verse 23 so that we could come to Christ, come to God. We could come to salvation. We could experience being made right with the Father. And so this pattern that Christ demonstrates, he's saying in the same way slaves to the masters, in the same way wives to the husbands submit and fulfill this pattern. Now, this is an easy principle to understand it is very difficult to embrace. It is very difficult to embrace. And when we get to the husbands, we will see that as well. But he is simply saying, plainly put in verse 1, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Is he saying, women, be submissive to men? Is that what it said? No, it did not. It said, wife, to your husband. It doesn't say to all the husbands, in the room, in the church, wife, be submissive to your husband so that, well, before we go on, let's, let's define this a little more, this submissive uh, life that the woman's wife is to live. He's, it means to willingly submit to a husband's authority or leadership within the marriage. There's no way around this, folks. There's no way to dodge this term of submission. You can't color it up to be something uh, that the culture of today would embrace, all right? Our society is not going to embrace that. You got it? Okay. I think they handed out tomatoes in the back for you to throw at the pastor, but that, there's no way around it. Some have tried to explain this as being thoughtful and considerate to your husbands or act in love toward another, uh, but the legitimate meaning implies a relationship of submission to an authority, it means being obedient to this authority. It means responding in a way you're submitting yourself to the leadership authority in this relationship with the husband. Now let's look for context sake and understanding and meaning. Are there other places in the New Testament where this is taught? In other relations? Yes. Luke chapter 2, Jesus submitting himself to his parents. Okay, was, was uh, Jesus is Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the son of God, and yet he submits to his earthly parents, the authority figures in his life. Uh, Luke 10, the demons subjected themselves or submitted to the apostles. Romans 13 and Titus chapter 3, verse 1, citizens were called to subject or submit themselves to governing authorities. Same concept. You go to 1 Corinthians 15, the universe speaks of the universe submitting to Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, again, we'll see uh, later on, unseen spiritual powers submitting to Christ. 
Back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, we see Christ submitting to the Father. 1 Peter 5, we're going to see where church members are called to submit to church leaders. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, the church being called to submit to Christ. Uh, we saw last week in verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, slaves, household servants, are to submit to the master. Hebrews 12, Christians submitting to God. Outside of the New Testament in the Greek, the word was used to describe the submission and obedience of soldiers in an army to those of superior rank. Now, when you're walking through Scripture, you never see these reversed, okay? Uh, and in fact, if those who would take uh, to explain submitting as um, meaning uh, be thoughtful or considered or act in love toward another. When you get to Luke chapter 10, the demons subjecting themselves to the apostles. Uh, does that definition fit? No, the demons didn't subject uh, in such a way to be thoughtful and considered of the apostles and to love them. It doesn't fit in the context of Scripture. And none of these relationships you see a reversal. It's all a directional flow of submitting to an authority figure in the world that we live in. However, I want you to understand something very important here as we're walking through this text. This submission to authority, biblically and scripturally, is consistent with equality in, in just three, in three areas that I want you to know, okay? Because this is important because, well, it's encouraging. Uh, when we talk about submission, it is um, for the wife, uh, it means equality and importance. You are no less important than the husband. You are just as important. You are also, when it comes to your dignity, there is to be the same dignity between husband and wife and honor as well. So we do not minimize your importance, your dignity, or your honor when we talk about submitting to your husband. Uh, again, I want to remind you, Jesus was subject to both his parents and his heavenly Father. When you look at the, the uh, Trinity, Jesus submitted to the Father, but was Jesus any less than the Father? They were equal, yet he submitted to the Father's will. This command for wives to submit to husbands, it never is to imply the wife being inferior. You need to jot this down if you're taking notes. Never does it imply that the wife is inferior as a person uh, in regards to the husband. It never implies that she is inferior spiritually. And it never implies that she is of lesser importance. Okay, uh, we've got an amen down front. She said, I know that's right. All right, uh, but Peter does affirm just the opposite, that they are joint heirs of the grace of life. We'll see that in verse seven next Sunday, okay? Joint heirs, we are equal, yet God has given us distinctive roles to follow. This general scriptural principle of obedience to authority, uh, except when asked to do evil or sin, is just as relevant today as it was in Peter's day. And so we are to, wives are to submit to their husbands and their leadership, except when that husband asks you to commit a sin or do something evil. Now, in that moment, this submitting to authority, it may not go well for you. Let me go back to the pattern. Jesus was without sin. And we see the pattern that he, how he lived, how he responded. He did not retaliate. He did not threaten. He just entrusted himself to the Father. And we know that God, the Father, honored him. And so 
How did it go for him when he, he refused to sin? He refused to deny who he was. He refused to say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want the cross. How did it go for him when he submitted to the governing authorities? It didn't go well for him, did it? It cost him his life. It cost him his life. The pattern for us in living out Scripture is to the death. That is our pattern, brothers and sisters. We remain true to God's word, even if it costs us our lives. Now, that does not mean, church, that when a wife is being abused or she's in a bad situation, that doesn't mean that we turn the other way and just allow that to continue. God has established a way to confront sin in the church. It's called church discipline. It's called brothers and sisters doing life together. That's why last Sunday I, I came down off the, off the platform and got a little closer to you. It makes us a little uncomfortable when we get in each other's business, right? Because then we're going to have to get real. We're going to have to take off our mask, and there's no way to deny the way we're living our lives, right? Okay. And so this, this still does not mean, a wife, that you disregard that when the church isn't doing what it's supposed to do. You continue on honoring God's word. But church, it's on us. It's on the pastors, the elders, the leadership within the church that we are intentional about how we do life together, that we're holding each other accountable. When brothers and sisters are hurting, Scripture says that all of the body, when one hurts, one suffers, who else suffers? The whole body, the whole church. But we have done a horrible job in the church today. I'm just saying just in general, okay, I know there's some churches that get it right. We've done a horrible job of doing life the way Scripture's calling us to. We are great attenders, horrible implementers. Great attenders, but horrible implementers. Where's that amen at? <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm not, I'm not up here like I got it figured out, okay? All right? So if we're going to follow through with this, we're called to start plugging into doing life together. If you're here today and don't know anyone in this room, yet you've committed to being part of this church, it's time to get to know each other. It goes both ways. We have to be approachable, teachable, but we also have to go and teach and approach. Okay? All right, I'm, I'm chasing a trail here. I need to get back to the text and what God is calling us to. And so it may not go well for us, Brothers and sisters, when we live the life we're called to, however, in this purpose, look at the text again. He says, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. The text implies, as he's speaking to the church, that the majority of them are saved. Okay? However, in the case that a wife is married to an unbelieving husband, what is the goal? of this submission? What is the outcome, the desired outcome? That through the way that she submits to her husband as a leader in the home, okay, that without even a word by the behavior of their wife, what? They may be one to Christ. You see, again, I'll go back to the pattern. Christ submitted to the Father. He endured for the joy set before him that we might come to God through his sacrifice. Wives, through your sacrifice, through your submitting to your husband, if he's an unbelieving husband, the desired outcome is that the way you live your life, the way you are an image bearer, the way you live out your faith, 
the husband, the unbelieving husband in the text, uh, Peter says, is going to see that as attractive. He's going to see this attraction of the gospel and you living it out so much so that he might be one to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that every unbelieving husband who has a believing wife is going to get saved. It doesn't mean that. Please do not take your, if you're in a situation today that isn't healthy and you're struggling, please don't just read yourself into the text, okay? Learn the principle, learn the call, and as a church, let's walk together, okay? So he says that through their behavior, as they do what? Verse two, as they observe, in other words, it's got to be seen. Don't just talk about Jesus. He's saying, live it out. There's a certain behavior that you need to live and demonstrate. It must be observable as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. That chaste behavior, it's a pure behavior. Remember, we go back to 22, he who was without sin. As we walk through chapter 2, what was the call of God on our lives as a church? Be holy for I am holy. Be like the Father. Become like the Father. And so in your life, your relationship with Christ, you are constantly doing what? Being washed by the Word, being cleansed by the Word, in relationship with with Christ through the Spirit, in the body of Christ, allowing God to remove the impurities so that you're living a holy and pure life. That kind of behavior, wife, that behavior is on display. He says a reverent behavior or respectful behavior as well. You go back to the previous chapter, the household slaves, how they submitted to the masters. It talked about this respectful behavior. It is this, this fearful apprehension of how they might, the other might respond. In other words, I'm thinking about my behavior and the effect. I'm thinking about how this person is going to respond. So I need to make sure that my behavior is above reproach. That my behavior is above reproach because they may not respond the way I want them to. So I need to make sure I'm honoring Christ in my behavior. And God will see that as we saw last week. God will see that. He will honor that. He cherishes that. And so this behavior is on display. And now in verse 3, uh, this attractiveness that he's speaking of that can win an unbelieving husband to Christ, here's what it, this adornment looks like. Your adornment, verse 3, must not be merely external. He's getting ready to show a contrast between external and internal beauty, okay? And so this adornment or adorning, it is the focus of attention on how we present ourselves or what we uh, desire to be seen as attractive, or beautiful. And some of us focus on the external. Some of us, as Peter says here, he says, not the external, merely uh, the braiding of the hair and the wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Some of our legalistic brothers and sisters have used this passage, this text, to say women shouldn't wear jewelry and they shouldn't braid their hair and they should do, abstain from certain things. Well, if you're going to use that text to say you can't braid your hair and you can't wear jewelry, guess what the third thing is? You can't wear dresses. Well, what are they supposed to wear? It doesn't fit the context, okay? This is not about what you can and cannot wear. What he is stressing here is that this beauty, this attractiveness, how you adorn yourself, the focus of attention is not to be on the external. Now, in our society today, we have women that not only look at their hair and look at their jewelry and look at their clothing, but advertising parts of their body. We could take this a whole nother step. In the past, I've had women come to church, and, and you think we have shawls just because of the temperature, because we like to keep it cool in here? No, there's another reason as well. Uh, there's, so I know some wives, 
I know some wives that don't want their husbands looking at other women in the church. It is not merely the external that is about the beauty. Sisters, it's about the internal. Look at what he says. He says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart are these heavenly realities. Uh, The hidden person of the heart uh, is that inward nature. It's their true personality. It's their character of God. It is, as an image bearer, the love and character of Christ coming forth. That which is inside is then revealed and manifested physically in this relationship. It's not the visible. It's the hidden that is then revealed how they live their life, their behavior, reflecting the character of Christ. And so it's that hidden person, but then it goes on to say, with the, what, imperishable quality. Imperishable means it's uh, uh, this something that's not going to fade away. Imperishable, it's eternal. It's lasting. And so in the text, he says this, with the imperish- this hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of what? What does it modify? A gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. This gentle, this imperishable quality is this gentle and quiet spirit. And so what is a gentle and quiet spirit? What is it about? What, what, is, so, what is so good about it that God loves it, that it's precious? Uh, wives, would you like to be seen as precious in the sight of God? Would you like to say, oh, the way I'm living my life, oh man, God is good with this. Would you like to be in that place? Well, if you say amen, don't negate verses one through three. He said, this gentle and quiet spirit, what is it about it? It, it, it is not insistent. Here's where it gets tough. It's not insistent on one's own rights. Who's our pattern? Christ. It's not insistent on one's own rights. It's not pushy. It's not selfishly assertive. It's not demanding one's own way. Now, who's watching this gentle and quiet spirit in the family? Husband is seeing it and saying, wow, this is attractive. This is beautiful. This is amazing. But who else is seeing this? The children. The children are seeing it. Uh, What problem do we have in the world we live in today? We have rebellion. We have kids that rebel against authority. Where do you think they learned that? Uh, it, It starts with an H, followed by an O, followed by an M, ending with an E. They learned that in the home. Who is the first line of teaching this submitting to authority? Remember I said, someone's going to pay for your leadership. I I told my daughter, I said, baby, when you look for a man to marry, you watch. You watch how a a young man's dad treats his wife, the son's mother. You watch how a man treats his wife, and you're dating the son. You better pray and hope to God that he loves Jesus enough that he won't follow a bad example in the home. Young ladies... You stop and examine who you're giving your heart away to. You make sure they love Jesus more than anyone else. Someone will pay for poor leadership, and they may pay dearly. We'll get on that next week. So, men, please come back. Okay? 
But wives, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, God's word is challenging the wives. Be that example of Christ. Follow his pattern in the home, submitting to authority. So that when the kids grow up, not only do you see a dad who is submitting to Christ and loving the wife the way Christ loved the church, but seeing a wife who is just as equal as dad, yet submitting to his leadership and authority. Because when the wife rebels against the husband, the kids are there to go, well, it's not good enough for mom. It's not good enough for me. There we go. And I've got some teachers in the room that could say, yeah, I see that every day in the hallway, in the classroom. That's why I'm not called to work as a teacher. I'd be in jail. That's a whole other sermon. Okay, so this is beautiful. Scripture says beautiful to others, even an unbelieving husband. Why, why is this beautiful? Why is it important? Why is God love? Because it's precious in his sight. Because this gentle and quiet spirit, it demonstrates, it's the result, it's the fruit of of this continual trust in God to supply all of your needs according to his will for your life. So ultimately, wife, you are trusting in whom? God. You are trusting in God. We'll go back to the previous text, you know, chapter one, chapter two. You are waiting for the return of Christ. Your hope is in Christ. That's what you're waiting for, the resurrection you're waiting for Christ to return. So in the meantime, you're going to endure. You're going to fulfill the role that God has called you to. You're going to submit to the leadership of your husband, and it may not be great. It may not turn out the way that you hoped. He may be failing, yet you're called to the pattern of whom? Christ. Again, there are some means by which we can confront when a brother is failing in that. But let's keep let's stay to the text. Uh, verse 5, for in this way in former times the holy women also. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the women of the Old Testament who were looking for the coming Messiah. Uh, in, in Israel, all of the mothers, all the wives were thinking, maybe my son will be the one. Maybe this will be the one. In Genesis chapter 3, great sorrow through childbirth. That What was the great sorrow that increased? It was sorrow because this is not the one. This is not the one. We're waiting for the one. This, nope, this isn't it, okay? But then the one comes, okay? They kept trusting. They kept believing in the one who was to come, who would bring about the resurrection. They believed, and so they kept doing what? Their, their hope, this, who hoped in God, is this continue, the tense here, is this continuing, ongoing, trusting, hoping in God, is in this verse five, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves with what? This very principle of being submissive to their own husbands. They adorned themselves with this principle of submitting to the husband, okay? And so when you get to verse 6, he gives you an example. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Obviously, we're not talking physically. For as the church, we could not physically become, but as Gentiles, we are grafted in. We are adopted through Christ into Israel, the body of Christ, his people. However, he's writing to the Jewish believers who've been scattered abroad, right? He's saying, look, all you sisters in Israel, you remember Abraham? He's the father of Israel, right? Father of the nation. Everyone revered Abraham. And guess what? Peter uses this example of Sarah and you know what? Sarah submitted to Abraham 
But guess what? You go to Genesis 20, and Abraham told this king in the land, he goes, oh, that's my sister, not my wife. That's my sister. And this king takes Sarah to be his wife, a dream and a night and a vision. God says to King Abimelech, he says, you touch her, you die. In fact, I'm getting ready to take you out and all your people because that's Abraham's wife. And he responds, I did it out of innocence. I didn't know the integrity of my heart. And he makes it right. He t- Abraham, what are you doing, man? Why didn't you tell me she's your wife? And this is the example that Peter gives. But Sarah submitted. Sisters, I'm telling you, and you know this to be true, it doesn't always go the way you want it to. The man doesn't always make great decisions. There are going to be many times when he's going to fail. In fact, men are just apt to faint. Many times we are afraid to make the right decision because we're afraid of how you're going to respond. I'm just being honest. Yeah. You know, I'm working hard. I'm doing life. I'm trying to provide for my wife, my family. I want to protect them. Man, but I I don't want to get it wrong. I want to be your hero. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to fail. And some wives are going, we're waiting for you to make the wrong decision because I'm going to let you know about it. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm dying anyway. (laughs) I can't stop it. It's on a downhill track. Are, are you, are, am I the only guy that gets it? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, women. How about some women saying amen today? <laughs> okay, let's stay with the text. It's safer that way. Okay, because I'm not that smart and I'm not that good, right, brother? Amen. Okay, so this is the example he gives. But he says, what is right without being frightened by any fear? What would that be? Because this continual trust is in Christ. Your trust is not in the husband. Ultimately, yeah, you want him to do right. You want him to lead out. But guess what? Your trust, your hope is where? In God, Christ the Savior. The husband's not the one that's going to bring about all this good in your life. He's doing the best he can, but he's going to fail you. But ultimately, the reason why they did this without any fear is because their hope was in the right person, God without being frightened. And so it doesn't mean, though, that in the moment of doing life that you're not going to have those moments of anxiety. You're not going to have those moments of frustration or you know, or just, a, ah, I'm not real sure about this. I'm a little nervous about the outcome. It doesn't, he's not saying, what he's saying is that ultimately this circumstance, you're not going to be afraid of this circumstance, an unbelieving husband or even a believing husband. You're not going to be terrified because your ultimate trust is in one individual, and that's the Savior. And so you can endure. And God's going to use this to grow you, fashion you. And so in this, we have that a woman, a wife, has this quiet confidence in Christ that's producing in her this imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that enables her to submit to her husband's authority without fear of ultimate danger to her well-being because she knows Christ. And she's praying for that husband. She's helping him. She is being that helpmate. Now, church, uh, we're going to have some difficulty applying this because uh, personally and as a church, uh, wives, maybe uh, you need to stop today and go, 
Hmm, where's my focus of adornment been? Has it been on the external? I've been afraid. Am I been competing against other women? Am I afraid that my husband's going to stop looking at me? And so your whole focus is on the external, the braiding of your hair, the jewelry, the clothing, all these outward experiences. Are you afraid that your husband, no, 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 no. Where, where would you focus our attention on beauty and attractiveness, on the inward person, the internal, and developing that gentle and quiet spirit that trusts in Christ, that gives her husband to the Lord, gives her children to the Lord, and just keeps trusting Christ and saying, it's not about how they respond to me. It's not about how he responds to me. It's not about how my children respond. It's not how the church responds. It's about how I respond to Christ. That's where it's at, right there. Okay? But as a church, in our role of caring for husbands and wives, uh, believing husband is being abusive, uncaring, he's not being the leader in the home church, what do we do? Because it happens. It happens. Well, we come alongside that couple. That wife, when she reaches out to her sisters in Christ, they come alongside of her. They lead her through the word. They're praying for her, praying for that husband. Men in the church, guess what? We go to that brother. So what are you thinking? What are you thinking? How are you leading in your marriage and leading in the home, the family? We're in the body of Christ. This is not to be on our watch. You see, we're going to have to be courageous and bold and gracious. Title of this, walking through 1 Peter, Grace Living. Here's where grace comes in. We confront sin in the body of Christ. We lovingly walk with brothers and sisters. We say, not so in the body of Christ. We gently and lovingly, yet firm, holding fast to the truth, saying this is the life that we're called to. Jesus called it church discipline. Instead of gossiping, instead of talking about it, he says, go one-on-one. Keep your mouth shut. One-on-one. Don't blab to everybody about somebody offending you. Keep your mouth shut. Go to the individual and saying, we got a conflict here. Let's work it out. Because if you keep your mouth shut and you deal with it, guess what? It's not broadcast in the whole body. And you can deal with it, experience forgiveness, repentance, healing, and everybody just keeps trucking right on. Jesus said, if that doesn't work, it's in Matthew 18. You can read it for yourself. Matthew 18, go get a brother to go with you. Two, confront the one who's in sin. There's an issue, situation. And you deal with it. You work through it. You confront it. You ask the brother to repent. You know this stuff, right? Okay. If that doesn't work, he says, bring it before the church. That's when your elders and leadership get involved. And, and Paul said, even to this extent, to the son who is having sexual relationships with his stepmom, he said, cast him out of the body of Christ, that he would be disciplined. Turn him over to Satan, that his body might be destroyed, yet his soul saved, as if by fire. Why? For the purpose of restoration Reconciling, reconciling and healing. Because when the son did repent, you read in Scripture, Paul says, quickly receive him back because he's in danger. He's outside of the body of Christ. You see, the protection is in the body of Christ. Here's where we're being protected. Because we can deal with the sin, we can lovingly walk through it, and we can be about restoration and healing, and we can keep on going, being the witness God has called us to. Now, is that easy? No. Does that take time? Yes. Does that require you being in a relationship? Yes. 
That requires us doing life together. It means it has to be a priority. If you're too busy for the body of Christ, you're acting outside of the body and you're not going to be able to follow through with this text. Plain and simple. So you've heard me say before, I think we've been doing church wrong. And that's what I'm talking about. We are great attenders, horrible implementers. It's time to implement. So today I'm going to ask that um, Walter and Linda Sinsat are down front as a husband and wife, or if there's a, a lady that needs to come, maybe she's not tracking with the scripture and she's doing her own thing, demanding her rights. She's not submitting her husband's leadership. They'll be down front. Alan and Pam are here. I'll be down front. Uh, we've got others in the church. You know each other. Uh, this may be a time if you are out of the will of God, according to the word of God, as a wife, as a mother, as a godly woman, then this is the time to repent and come to Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And so uh, if you're a leader in the church, I'm going to ask that uh, you may need prayer, but today I'm going to ask you to refrain from coming forward for prayer. I'm going to ask that you pray for your leadership and those in the church, that you will pray for this body of Christ to begin submitting to the text Wives and husbands, as we'll see next week, let's lift the church up today. That people who are disobedient might be obedient. That they'll respond to the text and say, yes, I want to I follow the pattern of Christ as a wife. So uh, wives, if you're in a place where you've been disobedient, I'm going to ask that you search your heart, compare your life to the scripture, and do what is necessary to get right with the word of God and be obedient to Christ. Now, as, as other believers in here, if there's someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, you bet, come forward. If there's some who are outside of the body of Christ or haven't been fellowshipping, haven't been a part of doing life here, and you want to know more and you, you want to get right with God, I, I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm not going to turn anyone away from prayer, okay? But leadership, I'm going to ask that during this song, you lift the congregation up, and if there's someone who needs prayer, you be ready to pray with them. If you see somebody coming down front for prayer and they're by themselves, you don't have to come and listen to their business. You might want to come, just put a hand on them and say, brother, you're not alone. Sister, you're not alone. And just pray, for, pray over them, okay? Can we be church? Would it be so? Oh, Lord, we need your help right now. I ask, Lord, that as we're walking through the text, this is a difficult text. It's easy to understand. It's hard to implement because it requires us doing life together. It requires us being honest with each other. And Peter is so good about just calling it out. Lord, we are to submit to your word. We're to submit to you. We're to follow the pattern of Christ, and we fail miserably. I mean, I, Lord, I, I, there are times where I give poor counsel. There are times where I've counseled people, and not to this extent. Uh, in some cases in the past, I've had to ask for forgiveness. Um, and so today, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the body. I am here I'm in the front of the line saying, Lord, I want the ability to follow through and be obedient to your word. So help us now to be obedient. Help us to respond, and if we need prayer, to come for it. Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing.